Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 32 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. And yes, that phrasing is grammatically correct. We have a jurisprudential episode planned today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts, you, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can listen there, too, or on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Today, for the you part, we have a detailed report on the results of the 2019 Pennsylvania elections, including word from one of our newly elected libertarians. How cool is that? And if there's time, we have a follow-up on my rant from episode 31 about the Pledge of Allegiance. After that, part two is all about them, where each episode we will host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is a champion of downtrodden victims of government labor unions. He's president and general counsel of the Fairness Center in Harrisburg, David Osborne. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part where it be my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk, I'll be focusing on a particular issue that really sticks in my craw, pun intended. Today's rant, corporations. And throughout the show, as is our long-established custom, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrators to read our live commercials. Today we have Michael Ferry, a member of the Kennett Square Toastmasters Club in, you guessed it, Kennett Square. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Mike. Thank you. Let me ask you a question. What do you like about being a Toastmaster? I like the Toastmasters because it brings out the the stage performance in me that I need to work <laughs> on a little bit more. Uh-huh. How long <clears throat> have you been a Toastmaster? I've been a Toastmaster for approximately a year now. Uh-huh. Wow. You're relatively new. I'm relatively new, yes. Yeah. Me, I just turned 22 in Toastmasters. Oh, I could only inspire. Long, long time. We also have with us a second Toastmaster today, as is our recent tradition, to help us read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and join in the discussions with our guest. It's a role that we call cohort. Today's cohort is no stranger to the Pennsylvania Project. She was our cohort in episode 26, narrator in episode 22, and of course, she's a Toastmaster too, and a member of Cerner Toastmasters, Dodie Preston. Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project, Dodie. Thank you so much, Ken. Happy to be here. Yeah, why? Again. Why? Oh, this is a lot of fun. Yeah? Yeah. What yeah. makes it fun? What's fun about it? You're sitting here and is it a pressure? And... It is the pressure. It's a challenge. As a <laughs> Toastmaster, it is a challenge. But um, we rise to it and it gives us the experience that we need on air and speaking off the cuff. Yep. Yep. But uh, I always learn something from you, Ken. Uh, yeah, you're going to learn not to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I haven't learned that lesson. Yeah. Smarty. <laughs> All right. Let's dig into the mailbag. And remember, our mission is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. What do we have today, Dodie? Our first email is from Jennifer Moore. She's at East Nordtown, Pennsylvania, Eastern Vice Chair of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Wow, a honcho. Jennifer writes, I have some great news. Local elections were just held, and literally dozens of libertarians were elected across Pennsylvania. 
I'm not 100% certain of the total number of candidates who ran because there is no reporting mechanism for the state to track all, all local nominations. An educated guess is that we had over 40 in total who ran for local office, and our current count is that we won at least 24 races, maybe more. Ken's over here cheering, just in case yeah. y'all don't know. Here's a list of offices that we know that we won. In Berks County, Bally Borough Council, two Birdsboro Borough Council members, Exeter Township Auditor, Jefferson Township Auditor, Ken Horst Borough Council, Long Swamp Town, Long, excuse me, Long Swamp Township Auditor, Lower Alsace Township Auditor, Maiden Creek Township Auditor. Bucks County, we have two Solbury Township Auditors, Durham Township Auditor, and in Chester County, we have Birmingham Township Auditor, East Fallow Field Township Auditor, two Schuylkill Township Auditors, Cumberland County, Southampton Township Auditor, Upper Frankford Township Auditor, and in Dauphin County, it's a long list. It is a long list. <laughs> We're still going. Dauphin County, Jefferson Township Auditor, Middle Paxton Township Auditor, West Hanover Township Auditor, in Lancaster County, Mount Joy Township Auditor, and in Juniata County, I was trained, Juniata <laughs> Township Auditor and Wheatfield Township Auditor. And that's only a partial list because, in addition, we had 24 known write-in campaigns where no one was on the ballot, but we haven't yet heard back from them. We also sent thousands of letters contacting potential candidates, so I'm sure that some people attempted to write in campaigns but did not contact us. Hmm. It, will require, it will require an audit once the write-ins are certified to determine how many won those, but we'll find them out soon enough. All told, that raises the number of elected libertarians in Pennsylvania to over 60, possibly over 80. Wow. More than all other third parties put together, next year will be even better. Woo-hoo. Jennifer, that is that is amazing news. <clears throat> Excuse me. When that came in, I, I was just blown away. More than half of our known candidates won, and dozens more are still writing themselves in. We don't even know about them yet for uncontested races. This is a huge year for the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Indeed. And I know, Jennifer, I know you had a huge hand in making it happen because you and the State Party Selection Committee's Chair Chuck Moulton, the two of you should be congratulated and thanked for all the work you did rounding these people up. And, of course, you and the candidates who ran, of course, what, 50, 60? I don't know how many. Nobody knows yet. And thanks, too, for the rest of the party members who made that happen and to the Pennsylvanians who voted for them, the Pennsylvanians who are tired of the two old parties, tired of politics as usual. Pennsylvanians who believe in the libertarian philosophy, that you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. Golden rule. To paraphrase Ronald Reagan, it's morning in Pennsylvania. Jennifer, do me a favor. Get back with some updated results. Isn't that cool? Are you impressed? You're not a libertarian. I'm not a libertarian, but that is impressive that uh, that a third party took so many votes. I know. That's terrific. There's a pattern there. I saw a lot of them are auditors, borough councils. Yes. But you start at the bottom. Work your way up. That's the way you do it. Yep. All right. So let's hear from one of our councilmen. We've heard from one of those newly elected libertarians, borough councilman-elect Joshua Sloan, and he's in Bally, Pennsylvania, which is Berks County. Joshua writes, I'm a political newbie who has run from government for many years. (laughs) But due to a fluke, I've been handed a seat on the local city council in Bally. 
I'm under no illusion that my libertarian leanings will make a huge dent. But at least I can try to rile up the locals and ask questions about fiscal responsibility and government expansion and cronyism. Mm. I'm also new to your podcast, but I look forward to hearing more. Yeah, me too. Joshua, I'm not sure where to begin. Congrats or thanks or thanks or congrats. Good luck or good luck. (laughs) (laughs) But but I do know I should say thanks for the kind words about the Pennsylvania Project. Definitely keep on listening. You're going to learn a lot here. And thanks for contributing. Listen to me coughing. You're sitting in an interesting position there, Joshua. You are now one of them. You're in the inside. I guarantee you're going to see things and hear things that we mere mortals will never see or hear. You're going to witness firsthand those deals being made and those deals being broken. The hand-ups and the handouts and the stabs in the back. You're going to see all of it. Back in episode 26, I spoke about all sorts of things that people will see only if they just start hanging out at their local town meetings. I've been doing mine since, Jesus, before I was libertarian back in the 80s. Guaranteed you'll hear something stupid. Guaranteed. Something unconstitutional. You'll also find that they're going to want to talk to you because you're a newcomer. They're going to see which side of the fence you're on. And guaranteed they're going to ask you to champion one of their issues, be part of this coalition or that coalition. And by the way, that's true of ordinary citizens and people who are listening go to your local meetings. Because – and you should talk to them. You may only agree on a single issue, but don't let that stop you from working with them. Everybody knows how politics makes for strange bedfellows. But you got to be – I guess you don't have to be careful when you're forming these coalitions because you only need to know where we libertarians are coming from. People always say, where do you fit in on that left-right political spectrum? And Joshua, you probably already know this, but our listeners, they probably don't know because where do we fit on, the liberta- on that left-right spectrum? Libertarians don't. Because the political spectrum is not a left-right line. I went on about this at length in episode 17, and I'm not going to go into all that again about how it's not a a one-dimensional line. But let me just sum it up real quick. It's actually a two-dimensional diamond pointed at the top and the bottom, pointed left and right. And inside is an angled grid like lines of a graph paper tilted. The left side of that diamond, it shows degrees of personal freedom. The right side shows degrees of economic freedom. So you can determine a person's political leanings by plotting their political beliefs on the diamond, specifically by determining how much personal freedom they support versus how much economic freedom they support. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, but people who support a high degree of personal freedom but a low degree of economic freedom, they're on the left, like the liberals. They're on the left point of the diamond. And conversely, people support a high degree of economic freedom but a low degree of personal freedom, like conservatives, they're over the right point of the diamond. And you draw a line from that left point to the right point, and that's going to correspond pretty closely to that classical definition of left and right. But notice how it opens up a whole new political spectrum, two broad swaths, the entire top and the entire bottom. And where do you find libertarians? Well, since we believe in both personal and economic freedom, you're going to find yourselves at the top of the diamond, And those who deny personal freedom and economic freedom, like the fascists I was talking about in episode 17, you're going to find yourself at the bottom of the diamond. So to sum up, four broad groups, politically speaking, in that diamond, the political left at the left point, political right at the right point, libertarians at the top, and then fascists at the bottom. Well, enough theory. 
Getting back to your question, or my question, my statement about forming coalitions, remember that you can find allies on the right whenever you're dealing with an economic issue, and you can find allies on the left when you're dealing with a personal issue. You're going to find yourself voting on both sides of the aisle. Both sides are going to be seeking you out to vote on their side. And you know, you can do that. You can vote with the right, you can vote with the left, and never betray your libertarian principles. Joshua, this is an enormous opportunity for you and the Libertarian Party and for Bally. Congrats. Thank you. Good luck. And good luck. <laughs> Any words of wisdom, Theody, for our newly... What can I possibly have to add? Oh, I don't know. Something personal. You know, uh, I don't live that far from Bally. And my wife and I actually spent our 20th anniversary at a bed and breakfast there. Is that right? Yeah. That was a long time ago. We went up in a limousine. A buddy of mine ran a limousine service at the time. My wife had never ridden in one before. That's so special. I know. Definitely remember it. So, Joshua, if you need some help, give me a call. I'm easy to find. You can find me through PennsylvaniaProject.com, of course. Maybe we get together. We can talk about stuff. I'd like to come up and see you in action. I just want to sit in the audience and watch. This is like a dream come true. I don't think we're going to have a chance to get to the... That next question. We're running a little short on time already. So on that helpful note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of episode 32 of the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be visiting with today's guest, President and General Counsel of the Fairness Center in Harrisburg, David Osborne. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do these words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but we have... But have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If, you like if you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we've changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. 
As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up to our it's up on our website at thepennsylvaniaproject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please, sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. (laughs) Too true, Mike. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the Them portion of Episode 32 of the Pennsylvania Project where we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is all political. David Osborne, president, co-founder, and general counsel of the Fairness Center in Harrisburg, a nonprofit public interest law firm that provides free legal services to those hurt by public sector union officials. What a guy. He's an attorney, a former clerk to a Florida Supreme Court justice, and if I may add, a champion of the downtrodden. David, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thanks, Ken. That's a great, great introduction. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only call them as I see them. And that's exactly what you're doing, that whole downtrodden thing. Mm-hmm. Because it, I, I was looking through some of the cases that you guys have handled. And probably the one that's the biggest one on the mind is the that maintenance of membership policy, where unions won't let you quit the union unless there's this little teeny tiny window. What's that all about? Yeah, since 1970, there's been a law in the books here in Pennsylvania. Public sector unions um, are unions like uh, unions that represent teachers. uh, They represent city and county workers. They're very concerned that they keep their members in the union for as long as possible. So this maintenance and membership allows them to do that for several years while there's a contract in effect. And uh, members cannot leave their union until the last 15 days of a contract. So if my union were to um, were to enter into a collective bargaining agreement today, that's a four-year agreement, uh, I may have to mark on my Google calendar 2023, a little 15-day window there to remind me uh, when that time comes, I've got to send a letter, certified mail, return receipt requested to a particular address. And now if things don't go exactly according to plan – that 15-day window may be over, and I'm locked into the union for another three or four years. We wow. represent a lot of clients who've experienced this kind of thing. No, I, I guess I'm on two sides of that because we have, you know, as, as a free country, we have the unlimited right to contract. So can I sign that contract? Isn't it, isn't it on me since I signed that? Don't I have to abide by that? It's, it's like, for example, one of these condominium associations. You move there, you, you follow the rules. Well, that's not what we're talking about. So maintenance and membership allows a union to put that in the collective bargaining agreement uh-huh. that they've agreed to with the employer with no consent from a member. Don't they vote on it? Membership always votes on those agreements. Members often get the opportunity to ratify a contract, but the union doesn't actually have to listen to them. 
What? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? So, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so, um, and, and then most people don't know what it means. So, if you look in, a, in one of these agreements, um, I have I've looked at many. Uh-huh. Uh, it's termed maintenance and membership, which is sort of a clinical thing, and then it makes a reference typically to a statute and doesn't really tell you what the statute says. So, people have to do a lot of homework. Um, homework that's probably not allowed in a in a two or three hour union ratification meeting, uh-huh. and I in order to figure out what this means, it depends upon the person too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I play around with legal stuff. I've represented myself in court. I've won a lot. I've lost a lot too. It goes either way, but it's not trivial. But I would say it can't be that difficult or us lawyers wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, well, let me tell you about a guy who um, who got locked into one of these. So uh, we represent a guy named John Cabler. John Cabler works for a, uh, a liquor store as a liquor store clerk uh, uh-huh. in Pennsylvania. As you know, the state owns the liquor stores. Yeah, I ran it about that one. I could tell you where. I don't know. Go ahead. Which episode, Ken? I, I'm looking at my, <laughs> my cheat sheet here. And their union? And their unionized. Yeah, there's a union uh, called UFCW. Okay. Uh, local 1776. Well, um, uh, John comes in to work on his first day. He's really excited about starting his job. Uh-huh. And um, and he ends up in a in an orientation meeting like many of us do when we start our job. But in these union or in these orientation meetings, the union actually gets a period of time that's unsupervised with the workers. And during that time well, – we, What do you mean unsupervised? Who would be supervising? The, the employer would be supervising. So that would be the yeah. good wine and bad spirits people. That's right, yeah. So, so uh, his union comes in and, and uh, puts a union contract, a, a membership form in front of him and says, uh, you have to sign this in order to work here. Wow. And he says, uh, okay, um, I, didn't, I didn't know that. He actually went back to the, to the union and, and asked for some clarification. But they told him repeatedly, you have to join the union in order to keep your job here. If you don't, we'll keep you off the schedule. I thought we had right to work state where you don't have to join the union. Well, we don't have a right to work state, but that's a separate issue. So uh, you, you don't have to join the union, and that's true really in any state. Uh-huh. So, uh, but, but John doesn't know that, and of course he's, he's facing pressure from his union, so he signs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I want you to know that the union had the audacity to put all this in writing as well. They sent him a letter a few days later to say, thanks for joining the union. As you know, you have to join the union as a membership, oh, as a condition of your employment here. And if you don't, we'll keep you off the schedule. Which is not true. Which is not true. Okay, and um, so John signed it, and um, at, at the end of the day, when he moves to uh, to resign from his union, they say, "I'm sorry, you can't do that. We have something called maintenance and membership." And he's got to wait. So not only was he tricked into joining, he's locked into staying. That's incredible. So we filed a lawsuit for him. Um, we filed a similar well, lawsuit. Before you get into the lawsuit, mm-hmm. let me back up on that. Isn't that illegal to lie to the guy like that? Because Doty just brought that up. They're not allowed to do that. They, they've given him bad information. They sure have. Yeah, that's that became part of the lawsuit again. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So we filed a lawsuit on his behalf um, to challenge maintenance and membership. We also challenged the fact that the union was running a de facto closed shop, hmm. and a closed shop is where you have to join as a as a um, as a member in order to work there. Really hasn't been around since the 1940s when mm-hmm. Congress outlawed it. Hmm. But. Uh, um, and then we also uh, sued his union leaders for intentional misrepresentation. I mean, this is uh, this wasn't just a constitutional infringement; also, also uh-huh. a flat lie. Now, Absolutely. Are you suing them personally, or is in their capacity as a union boss? So both. Um, wow. uh, the the intentional misrepresentation portion um, keyed on their their uh, their personal uh, capacities. Wow. Yep. Heavy duty. Yeah, so I'll tell you what, what's been going on, though, is, in, is a, a product. We filed suits, uh, eight or nine suits like this across the state. 
uh, two of them class actions. Uh-huh. And the net effect, uh, even though none have come to judgment yet, this is part of what we do. The net effect is uh, is that our clients have been let out of the union by and large. Uh-huh. Um, they've gotten their money back in some instances. And in most instances, the union has actually run away from the maintenance and membership requirement. They've taken it out of their contract. They've said they won't put it in the next one. And um, a lot of success for our clients. So I'm, I'm very wow. proud of that. That's very cool, man. Well, that, that's part of how public interest litigation works. So um, we represent clients. We care immensely about our clients. They are our number one priority. The IRS requires that we also have a public interest, that this case means something to more people than just our client. And um, and when you're litigating in that capacity, it makes a big difference. Um, it makes a big difference even if, you, even if you don't win the case, even if you're still in negotiation or settlement um, – that uh, the union actually changes its policies and reforms. Now, I got to say, I don't trust. I don't trust them for my client. We've we've advised them. Uh, you know, <laughs> just because they're rescinding their policy now doesn't mean they can't put it back. That's true. Um, so, uh, but that's where we're at. And I'm that's very it. proud of the accomplishments for our clients. And Dave, you have every every right to be proud of that. I mean, that's as I mentioned in my intro. I look at it. You're championing the downtrodden. How do these people find you? Like. All right, I go to work for the mm-hmm. good spirits, bad spirits place, and they say you got to sign this. All right, I sign it. I don't know any. I don't know any better, and I'm stuck in the union. I go home. I complain to my wife. She goes, "Shut up, dear. Have another drink or whatever." How do they find you? How do they know to call you? How do do you reach out to these people or or what? Variety of ways. They mostly find us um, online. Uh, we have a a website, and um, what, what do they search on? Free legal advice, or how do I stop the evil spirits people? Uh, I think it's it's you know get out of my union or um, do I have to strike? That's a, a common question when there's a public sector union strike. Um, come to us in a variety of ways. Really? Mm-hmm. So so they can be a scab and and the union can't stop them from doing that. Okay, what what do you mean in the in the strike? Yeah. Situation. Strike breaker crossing um, the picket lines, all that stuff. Well, the, the the I'll give you sort of a broad overview. When when Thank let's you. say you're a teacher who whose union is going on strike. As a general matter, if you are a member of the union, the, the union can actually tell you to strike. They can tell you not to go to work. They can tell you to walk a picket line and hold a sign. Yeah, but do you have to listen? And if you don't do it, then they've got something called union discipline. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. And they can fine you. Union discipline used to be things like getting kicked out of your job. Um, right now, it's, it's more like a, a fine. Um, the sometimes they're called a censure. How much? Just curious. Uh, it varies based on the unions, but okay. you know, it's not an insignificant amount. Right. So, um, and, and that's legal. That's legal. Yep. Yep. Is that part of what they're signing when they take their job? The, in, right. in most cases, they know what uh-huh. they're getting into, or should know what they're getting into. <laughs> they, the, they don't. These uh, these um, union discipline clauses are typically in the union constitution and bylaws. Uh-huh. Now you have the most protections available to you if you're not a member of the union. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Um, if you're faced with a strike scenario and you don't want to strike, uh, typically the answer, legally speaking, is you should become a non-member because at that point the union can't tell you what to do. Yeah, but you got to wait a couple of years because of that maintenance of membership clause. Oh, that's exactly right. Yep. So, so they got you coming and going. Yep. And they were designed to protect people. Union. Well, yeah. You know, public sector unions, I think, served a purpose um, for a time. I've talk, I've spoken to some. Some uh, some elderly teachers who now retired who uh, tell who talk a lot about how in their early years you know, the principals would take advantage of them 
Um, they would work hours that were that they considered unreasonable. And the unions, when they came in, they changed all that. Um, you know, so I, I think they've served a purpose. There are many people also who who today want to be part of a union. I, I would not, um, uh, you know, I would not stand in their way. I think people should be free to join a union if they want to. I agree. But, uh, I'm a libertarian. Your most, life, your way, as long as you respect others. But our clients should be free to leave. That's right. When they want as well. Yeah. We often talk about it as a right to change your mind. <laughs> I like putting it that way. It's kind of like a republic. You know, if you're a sovereign nation, Pennsylvania joins the republic, it should have the right to leave it. Look at Brexit. Britain's leaving the European Union. It should be the same thing with when it comes to unions. My guest today is David Osborne, president of the Fairness Center in Harrisburg. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to episode 32 of the Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Well, maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regrettable choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Wheel Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Wheel has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey everybody, Dodie Preston here, cohort on the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. Do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. Does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I'm on the radio. So turn your life around, like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future, or Ken's, the future is anxiously <laughs> awaiting competent leaders who, who, um, excuse me, who know how to communicate effectively, unlike what I just did in that sentence. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Steve Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 
AJ Financial Freedom, helping Pennsylvania achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities Investment Advisory Services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC members, FINRA, SIPC. Insurance products are services offered through AJ Financial Freedoms. AJ Financial Freedoms is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 32 of the Pennsylvania Project, and our guest, David Osborne, President and General Counsel of the Fairness Center in Harrisburg. And I always am surprised when guests don't run away. I think you are the second attorney, and the last one we had on here a couple times, he said, I don't think I want to answer that question. <laughs> but you're pretty open, and you're also staying on topic. I'm glad you're not – I'm not scaring you off or anything like that. You know, I, I admire what you're doing because you're, you're helping the little guy, people who couldn't afford a lawyer because this other attorney we were talking to who's trying to justify his multi-hundred-dollar-an-hour fee and everything mm. like that. But you're, you're championing the little guy there. And my first question is, you know, somebody's got to pay to keep the lights on. Where, where mm. do you get your funding? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, we're a nonprofit public interest law firm. Uh, we're a registered charity. So much like um, huh. any other 501c3, you know, we have to raise our money to keep the lights on. Uh-huh. Uh, we receive money from individuals, businesses, and fam- family foundations all across the country. Wow. Do you know one thing we, we champion here at the Pennsylvania Project is mm-hmm. something called the Universal Charitable Credit Act. It's passed in Arizona. What it does is it allows people to donate to the charity of their choice – and then take it off that deduction – excuse me, not deduction – take that contribution off their taxes dollar for dollar. So if I were to give $100 to the Fairness Center, I'd be able to subtract $100 off of my tax bill. Have you heard of that? I've not heard of it, no. Uh, dude, you should be doing that because <laughs> they've had it – they have, like I said, in Arizona. And I don't have all the numbers at my fingertips here, but they've given hundreds of millions of dollars over the years. And what I like best about that – couple things first of all it's not some bureaucrat deciding who mm-hmm. gets the money mm-hmm. and second of all there's so much tax money lost in the bureaucracy and i'm not going to do it again i have a shtick that i do with a dollar bill that shows how much of your money actually makes it to its ultimate destination and you're lucky if you get a dime on the dollar back but things like the the universal charitable credit act and there is one in pennsylvania it just hasn't passed yet mm. stuff like that could help you guys out immensely very well could yeah so where is – I didn't hear an answer to the question. Where does your funding come from? You said you're a nonprofit organization? Yeah. yeah we, we raise our money. It comes from individuals, businesses, and family foundations across the country. Across the country. Mm-hmm. And you're in – how many states are you in? So we operate right now in Pennsylvania uh-huh. and then Connecticut. Uh, we started working in Connecticut uh, last year. Uh-huh. So you've got people all over the country helping out. We two states. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, part of the part of the reason that uh, people people like to support us is that um, I was about to ask. what they see is uh, a, a landscape where certain claims never get brought without free legal assistance. I would agree. So, um, for instance, some of our clients. I told you about John Cabler. Well, John Cabler mm-hmm. couldn't get out of the union, um, so he he had to pay union dues. Right. Those union dues for many people are anywhere from you know three hundred to a thousand dollars a year. So um, when you when you file a lawsuit over such a thing, uh, you're going to pay an attorney to do it. 
the uh, you'll burn through that amount in the first couple hours <laughs> with your attorney. So, in other words, that claim is never going to get filed in court unless someone is willing to represent these people. Uh huh. So that's where we come in. We have. Or you're crazy like me and just go ahead and do it yourself. What do they say? A person who represents himself has a fool for a client. Pro se. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I go pro per. Okay. <laughs> Appropriate persona. Well, um, well, happily, they don't have to do that, and they've got folks who can navigate that process for them. It's not just me. We've got it. We've got a team of attorneys and support staff. Mm-hmm. Now, I was looking on your website, and it says that you help people not only in the court of law but also in the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? You go out there and you you lobby. Well, it, it, no, it's an, it's a, uh, we've done some lobbying, but what we are talking about there is about advancing our client's case um, with the public. Um, in many instances, I think uh, as an attorney, we, we have to zealously advocate for our clients, and that job is not just in court. As you see with a lot of high-profile litigation, you've also got to be pretty savvy out with the media and, uh, mm-hmm. and with social, social media. So um, there are many cases where in addition to doing our, our work in the courts, we also work for our clients um, through media and social media. I'll give you an example of that. So there's a, um, there's a, there was a situation here in Pennsylvania. It's, it's ongoing in some places um, where in a collective bargaining agreement, a union would negotiate with an employer to have, a, um, to have a, a employees that are public employees leave their job full time and go work for the union. 100% of their time while still being paid by the taxpayers. <laughs> it's a fairly common practice. They refer to it sometimes as release time uh-huh. um, in this state. I got um, a better word for it. But <laughs> on the federal level, they often call it official time. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, we represent some taxpayers who were incensed about that deal. I believe it. I'm incensed about it just listening to you. And you better believe that um, in addition to going in court and, and hammering away for our clients, we also contacted the media and let them know about this. And uh, and when we did, it made a lot of news, mm-hmm. uh, made television, made radio, and what it did for our clients is is basically reverse that uh, that deal in many places across the state without the need for litigation. So uh-huh. our, our clients were obviously very happy about that. Bravo. We've okay. still got a we've still got a case pending in Allentown over that where we represent some taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Um, Allentown was one of the uh, one of the poorest school districts in America. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, and it was absolutely necessary that we went in and, and filed a lawsuit. Uh, but they have now decided to reimburse the school district for the costs, at least going forward. Now we're still in court because they're about about a million point three on the table that they have never reimbursed before, and it's our wow. taxpayers' position that uh, we want that uh, that money returned to the school board. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Make great sense. It's a lot of money lying around there too, and it's the same thing. These they have that same way of finding you. They just go out on the web, and you go out there in the court of public opinion, and you try to sway them, and you scare them off because they don't want to hear that kind of stuff coming out over the air. Well, you know, we represent people who've been hurt by public sector union officials, and that's a story that that uh, that makes an impact when people yeah, hear but- it. How much of an impact does it have? Because I've dealt with these unions before. I ran for governor of Pennsylvania, and as such, I've been invited to their stuff. And they're pretty arms folded kind of a of a group. How do you make any kind of a of an impact on them? Because, it, like I said, in my experience, they seem to be not open to these ideas. Sure. Well, you know, we represent people in the in the court of law as well, and I think that's where um, I think that's where the power comes. Our uh-huh. our, our 
clients, we file uh, we file meritorious lawsuits for them. And when that's also waiting in the wings for you after you get off the phone with a reporter, you're going to be very careful about what you say. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I notice you you've been in several of the publications I have, and mentioned one of the things on your website mentioned Jan Murphy. I remember her. I had dealt with her a while mm-hmm. during the campaign. She's actually a very good reporter. Some reporters won't give you the time of day, especially when you're a, a challenger party like we libertarians. But she'd actually seek me out, mm-hmm. which is unusual. So do they come knocking on your door, or, or do you rely on news releases going out? Reporters, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, when there's a, when there's a particularly a public sector union issue, um, you know, we've developed a, we've developed a, a specialty there. Uh-huh. I mean, so we've got we we can inject some some levity in some of those conversations. <laughs> I would certainly hope so. Well, I'm going to put you in my Rolodex. If people still have Rolodexes anymore, we're running a little short on time. I, one other question: How many people do you have in this organization? Is it just you? You know, is it you got the whole choir or what? You know, we've got uh, right now we've got four attorneys and then uh, communication staff member and uh, two litigation support members. That's cool. So you're yeah. not really big. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, we've we've quadrupled in size in the last five years since we started. Uh huh. And um, and that's really because we're serving a market that needs to get served. Yeah. It's a very odd market. I wouldn't even think of it as a market because you're doing things on a nonprofit basis. That kind of oxymoronic and nonprofit market. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a website or something where people can go instead of just typing in get me out of my union? Sure. It's fairnesscenter.org. O R G. Uh-huh. You have a Facebook page? Yeah, we do. I, I I don't know how to get there. <laughs> I don't do Facebook either, you know. I, I got peeps to do that for me. My my wife picks on me for it. My family picks on me for it. You should be online. It's like, yeah, right in my copious free time. David, thank you very much for being on the Pennsylvania Project. I learned something. Like I said, you're going to be in my Rolodex, and I'm sure our listeners has picked up something too. So you out there in radio land, podcast land, if you know somebody who's in a tight situation with their – Public union? Do you use private unions too? Or just no, public? No, just public sector. Yeah, holding back the tide of government. That rings nicely with the libertarian in me. Any final comments? Well, I, I love our clients. I love working for them. Uh, we, we put them first. So although um, although I, many of them feel the same way you do about, the, about uh, government, uh, many of them do not. They just are mm-hmm. tired of the abuse that they've taken for public sector union officials. Mm-hmm. So. And there you are to help the downtrodden. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the then portion of Pennsylvania Project. My thanks again to our guest, yeah, David Osborne. No, thank you. President and general counsel of the Fairness Center in Harrisburg, champion of the downtrodden. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my crawl, corporations. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Eh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why? Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do for figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. 
And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep, and they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march towards liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. If all starts, it all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer freer future is waiting. (laughs) Not easy to say, is it? Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 32 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get my chance to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Specifically, corporations. I mentioned that in passing in the last episode, that I had a lot to say about corporations, but I figured, why wait? So I'll get to it today. You people get lucky. (laughs) So probably the best place to begin when you're talking about corporations is that famous quote, corporations are people, my friend. (laughs) Thus spoke Mitt Romney, Republican presidential candidate in 2012. With a comment like that, you could tell he graduated from a law school because no one else could ever make such an egregious mistake, especially in public. I heard the crowd turned on him for that blunder. And you know, lawyers have been repeating that blunder for over a hundred years. He wasn't the first. It dates all the way back to uh, a, let's call it an interesting 1886 Supreme Court ruling. Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad. Somehow, and I can't figure out how, I looked through it, They extended the definition of persons from the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution to somehow include corporations as persons. Go figure, lawyers. Well, since then, corporations have steadily gained legal ground. Until today, they enjoy many rights that we natural people enjoy, maybe a little too many. And they also enjoy a lot of rights we don't enjoy, which is one of the major reasons why corporations stick in my craw. You know, in spite of the corporate personhood having its federal roots, it's certainly not just a federal issue because there are many good and bad powers that are granted or denied directly to corporations by our very own Pennsylvania Constitution. Many things that are not granted or denied to we the people. So corporations have muddied up our Constitution. Good grief. Like what? How? I hear you ask. Actually, I don't want to be rhetorical. Well, let's look at some of the biggies. And probably one of the biggest one is eminent domain. It's granted under Article 10, Section 4 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Definitely bad, stealing people's property without their permission. Whatever they don't want to sell, too bad. You know, I'd always think, I always wonder about that because I thought the governments only had those powers that we the people delegate to them. Do you have the power of eminent domain? I know I don't. How could I delegate it? 
And I wouldn't want it either. I'm no thief. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I should do a rant about eminent domain. There's a lot I could talk about how it sticks in my craw. Sticks in my craw, it does. Talks like Yoda, I do. <laughs> Pardon me, I digress. Getting back on point. There are all kinds of things in the Pennsylvania Constitution that takes powers away from corporations, too. So it's the good and the bad. I'm thinking of Article 3, Section 18 that says there is no statute of limitations for suing corporations if they do injuries to employees. That's pretty good. Certainly, we don't want to put a limit on that. It's good for employees. It's also, I guess, good as a jobs program for attorneys because they can always come in 20 years later. A gift that keeps on giving, as the old commercial said. I don't watch TV anyway. I don't even know if that's on anymore. What else? Article 3, Section 31 says that a state cannot delegate to corporations any power to levy taxes or perform, perform any municipal function, whatever. Well, that's good, too. You know, why are we having corporations doing government stuff? It's bad enough you have the government do it. Except that's part of the Constitution they don't follow. Some of you should clue in certain corporations, like that place Berkheimer up there in Bangor, up north of Allentown. They make a nice profit off of performing municipal functions, that municipal function known as local taxation. That's bad. So not only is it being – it is being outsourced to corporations, not allowed to be outsourced to corporations, but they're doing it anyway. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, we should add that to the list of violations we have in our petition out on our website. We have 17 of them out there now. That's going to be the 18th one. Petition to get the Pennsylvania education process to teach our kids the Pennsylvania Constitution, which they don't do. I guess that's why it's violated in 18 places. Nobody knows what it says. Our petition is out there on PennsylvaniaProject.com. You should sign it, by the way. And, you know, as an aside here, going on about Berkheimer for another minute, you have to look at their website. I was looking just to research them a little bit for today. There is no about us page they don't say about who they are and just who do they do they think they are well whoever they are they certainly are not telling us about it it's not on their website you know and the more i think about it burkheimer really sticks in my craw i should include them in some rant sometime real soon except you know i bet i wouldn't have enough time because there's a lot i could say about some of their shenanigans i hope they're listening they know it too we've gone back and forth maybe we can get a representative from burkheimer on the show wouldn't that be cool Get them as a guest? Yeah, right. Like they come on the air with me, you know? But sorry, I'm digressing again. Let me get back on point. Corporations, Pennsylvania Constitution, Article 9, Section 9. It bars Pennsylvania or any incorporated district in the state from becoming a stockholder in any corporation. Well, that's good. You don't want them playing favorites like Governor Ridge did with Governor Shipyard, giving them all those tax breaks. Oops, sorry. Did he violate that Constitution? Eh, surprise. But they're not allowed to do it, and that's a good thing, but it is being ignored. And ignoring it is one of the direct causes of the teachers' pension crisis. It seems all their pensions tanked about 20 years ago when their stock holdings plummeted along with the dot-com bubble bursting. Hmm. It's an insult to the Constitution, and that's on our petition too. I can go on about that for a bit as well, but – I am not going to do that because it's just not going to be time. 
I should have done this just as a standalone rant. There's so much I could say about corporations. Because another interesting boon that is granted to corporations is infinite life. Hershey's chocolate has long outlived Milton Hershey by many a year. I'm not sure how I feel about that infinite life. Let me think about that for a bit. (laughs) Yeah, right. I should live so long. But you know what? The worst part of these corporations is not infinite life or the bailouts they seem to get or eminent domain or the Berkheimers or the pension crisis. The biggest problem that I'm aware of is that the men and women who run these corporations, too often they're held above the law. They're shielded from the law but from any legal liability they may have for damaging the environment, for hurting consumers, whatever it is they're doing. One of the classic examples is BP's Deepwater Horizon, how they spilled millions of gallons of crude oil off the Caribbean coast, one of the worst environmental disasters in America's history. Guess who went to prison for that crime? Nobody. They tried to have some scapegoats, but even they didn't go to jail. All they did was throw off a few billion dollars, say, here, go away. Same thing with the Exxon Valdez crisis. It's not fair. Not at all. Now, if you want to get closer to home, right here in Delaware County, we've got this Mariner Pipeline project. And by all accounts, that project is an ecological disaster. Sinkholes, pollution, and it's being shoved down the locals' throats by these immune corporations. Excuse me. By these immune people who run these immune corporations. In episode 31, we talked about a bill, HB 1813. It's a constitutional amendment that will give those local yokels, quote unquote, the power to enact local laws establishing, defining, altering, or eliminating the rights, powers, and duties of corporations or other business entities. Well, I have mixed emotions on that because there's no doubt that corporations are a problem to be solved. So I can understand why the bill's sponsor would want to do something. But give locals that sort of power? You go listen to the episode. Episode 31, definitely it's a problem. But as we say here on the Pennsylvania Project, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. And to my mind, the correct problem to solve here is not to expand government power like HP 1813 wants to do. Hey, I'm a libertarian. I don't want to expand government power. It's too big already. The problem here is actually those quote-unquote corporations and business entities that are in the crosshairs of HB 1813. Because corporations can be bad, really, really bad. And I've given you just too many examples just now. To my mind, the correct problem here to be solved is corporatism. Not some specific provision of law or some specific incident. I'm thinking it's corporatism in general. And the only correct solution here to defeat this multi-headed hydra is to flat-out end corporatism. Get rid of it. So instead of having some legal fiction responsible for environmental disasters, responsible for stealing your land via, via eminent domain, or poisoning our environment with their pipeline, I want the individual men and women who run the corporation to be held liable. They're the ones who should be facing imprisonment, bankruptcy, whatever, for the crimes they commit, just like you and I would. By eliminating their corporate personhood, by taking away their legal liability shield, those CEOs would think twice, three times before deciding to break the law or trash our environment. But will our legislature ever change that law and change Mitt Romney's statement and say corporations are not people? Will they change the law? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You tell me. 
We should end corporate personhood. End it now. It's the only correct solution to solving all these corporate ills. On that impossible dream, that's going to wrap it up for episode 32 of the Pennsylvania Project. What do you think about corporations, about Berkheimer, about the Mariner Pipeline, about anything Pennsylvania-related? If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition. And you can hear us there, too, <clears throat> Excuse me, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, a corporation of all things, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at and 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator Michael Ferry, featured Toastmaster cohort Dodie Preston, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag. I'm going to get him on this show, I'll tell you. Radio producer Brett Kronberger. Welcome back on vacation, Brett. Executive producer Mark Bazzacco and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. <laughs>